I am Dean Becker, your host. Our goal for this program is to expose the fraud, misdirection, and the liars whose support for drug war empowers our terrorist enemies, enriches barbarous cartels, and gives reason for existence to tens of thousands of violent U.S. gangs who profit by selling contaminated drugs to our children. This is Cultural Baggage. Hi, friends. Thank you for being with us on this edition of Cultural Baggage. I am Dean Becker, the Reverend Most High. I want to share with you my quote for the day. The real purpose of socialism is precisely to advance beyond the predatory phase of human development. That quote comes to us thanks to Mr. Albert Einstein. We got a great guest for uh, with us today, been with us a few times before, a uh, man who writes on a, a great deal of subjects, uh, not so much lately on the drug war, but uh, we're going to probably talk outside the drug war uh, today anyhow. And um, I, I want to go ahead and welcome our guest for today, Mr. Thomas Knapp. How you doing, Thomas? All right. How are you, Dean? It's good to hear your voice there, Thomas. Yeah, uh, uh, there there is a whole lot going on in the political world uh, out there outside of drug war right now, isn't there? Oh, yeah. Um, but you can see the drug war approach in so much of it. Well, yes, that that is true. And, you know, I, I hate to jump right into it, but that's part of what uh, I've finally determined. I'm writing this this book, as you know, uh, Forever Salem, the American Inquisition, and it was how to frame it up. And and it, it really just boils down to to look at each one of those spinoffs. The drug war creates nuances, new ways of going about society that uh, impacts our daily lives from the way cops pull you over to, uh, you know, the way that you get treated in a courtroom. And and I guess what I'm I'm trying to say here is that I think the American people are starting to realize they've been scammed by this drug war. Your, your thought there, Thomas. Well, the one thought I'd have on that, and it's a difference since I was a kid, is that now the police seem to consider everyone a suspect at all times. Um, you know, and they will use the drug war hooks as a way to pull you over, search you, try to find something to charge you with whether you know whether it's because they have a quota of uh, tickets they need to write or whatever um but really the police these days feel a lot more like a military occupation well they do they do and and they're dressed for it certainly they uh they they all look like they're they're ready to go into battle in iraq or something with all the gear they put on each day and uh it it, it just uh that's part of it. I mean, you you pretty well nailed it there, is that the whole thing has been kind of, the criminal justice system has kind of been repurposed to be a drug war system that deals with other, uh, other crimes as well, but it's all focused on drugs and guns. But you were talking about people, you know, uh, out there making the stops. They're, they're looking for guns. And drugs these days. They they want the big drug bust and they want a big pile of guns because they then might become a lieutenant or a captain even. They uh, they see it as a, a, a position, a power advancement, right? You there, Thomas? Did I lose you? Well, I guess I did. <laughs> 
Well, all right, folks. You are listening to Moral High Ground here on uh, the, the Drug Truth Network and uh, Pacifica Radio. Um, looks like he's coming back, connecting to audio. <laughs> are you there? Okay. Yeah, I, I was just trying to um, uh, share with yeah, you. Yeah, I, I don't know which one of us got cut off. Well, I'm, I'm still here and you weren't. So anyhow, um, I, I was just okay. trying to say how the... The uh, the drug war has become the main focus of law enforcement. Uh, it's like all the other crimes are uh, spinoffs or auxiliary, not necessarily the main focus. Your thought there, sir? Well, it's the money, the vehicles and houses and everything else that can be confiscated, the cash, the, you know, the, the asset forfeiture. Um, a lot of your police officers, much of their salary, all of their overtime and benefits are covered by the, the war on drugs. Right. And the Congress keeps making uh, new appropriations um, for police uh, agencies around the country to, you know, increase their number of drug agents and so forth and so on. They're always wanting to. Uh, increase that focus on the drug war, and and the the heck of it is the drug war gives them uh, leverage, uh, a, a point of entry, so to speak. That uh, uh, I've talked about it so many times, but it's it's at the heart of all of it is that I smell weed, and that gives cops the right to just eliminate most of your basic constitutional rights just by that sniff. Uh, your response there, Thomas. Well, that's exactly it. Now, I think the worm may be beginning to turn, but I remain concerned because what I'm seeing is with medicalization, not just of cannabis, but of psilocybin, MDMA. Um, I have a, a family member who uh, works in research with the National Institute on Drug Abuse, um, and their attitude seems to be changing away from all uses abuse to uh medical research, but then they're just going to control that and extract tax revenue and, and so forth from it. And if you are a, a you know, quote, freelance, unquote, user of something, um, they're still going to come after you from the law enforcement uh, perspective. Do you have a prescription for that cannabis? Um well, then, Where did you get this cannabis? Was it from an FDA-approved source and so on and so forth? It's, it's a huge money machine, and it has been for about 100 years. Well, and, and that's, that is the heck of it, is that, and, and I, I've talked about it quite often, as long as marijuana is considered to be controllable or needs to be controllable, that it's <laughs> such a threat somehow to society, to life on the planet— you know, that it needs to be controlled in such a fashion. This is part of the big lie. And and I let me see if I can clarify this for you, Thomas. I'm sure you'll understand it. But for the listeners, the big lie of the drug war is that it's necessary, is that it has benefit, is that it's going to do some good, it, that it's going to prevent your kids from getting drugs. It's going to do so many wonderful, wonderful things that it has never done. And it is the... The ability of law enforcement and politicians and the press and the priests and just all, every authority to say, we have authority over you. 
We have the morals. We have the legitimacy. We have the right to pass laws that uh, condemn you to being thrown in a cage for your choice of medicines. And it is the ability of them to pass that lie off, to present that to the public, to the world now, that this is all well and good and it's for the benefit of mankind, when it is horse hockey. There is no truth to it. There has never been any benefit to it. But I, what I'm going to wind up here, Thomas, is that through that lie, through that implementation and the hundred years of that lie being used, they have proven that the American people and I guess people around the world can be fooled into believing anything. And that's what we have right now with Mr. Donald J. Trump and the Red Hats presenting a world that is deviant from anything that this country has ever been before. And people are buying that lie. And it was the big lie of drug war that made this all possible. I, I don't know if I tied that together. Your response, Mr. Thomas Knapp. Well, I think you tied it together quite well. And if we look at the history of the drug war, there were several interests involved in illegalizing cannabis. But the big one inside the federal government was that Harry Anslinger had a bunch of alcohol prohibition agents who were suddenly going to be out of work. He needed something to go after to keep his department, keep his budget, keep those people paid. Um, it comes back to money and power. Uh, we can't, uh, pro alcohol is not forbidden anymore. Let's take this herb that a bunch of people like and talk it up as uh, some kind of threat to the public health and morals and off we go to the races and uh, we're kind of 100 years of that. It's never been, it's always been presented as a moral crusade. It's always actually been about money and power. Well, and in that uh, truth of it, yeah, and that's why this this show is called Moral High Ground because I claim it. Uh, I, I I I have talked to the preachers and the, the drug czars and the, the coroners and the, the authorities. I I have done that, and I can tell you that there's... well, you're entitled to the high ground. <laughs> I'm glad you see you standing on that high ground because it belongs to you. Uh, and and that is the heck of it, uh, Thomas. Is that there is not not one authority uh, at any level in in the in government in medicine in science. Uh, no, there is just nobody who will come on this show and defend the drug war. And that that is the uh, the ugly heart of all of this. Is that there's just no legitimacy to it, and it's the big lie that just gets to stand there and. Uh, you know, it's it's just so it's just so ugly and evil. I, I don't know. I don't know why politicians can't get behind ending this madness. I, they could become heroes. They could become president by, by just exposing this stupidity. Um, once again, we're speaking with Mr. Thomas Knapp. But Thomas, what is your website again? That would be the Garrison Center dot org. It's the William Lloyd Garrison Center for Libertarian Advocacy Journalism thegarrisoncenter.org okay yeah I, I i got lost this morning and wound up on a different site all right uh yeah and well let's let's talk about 
You know, I mentioned that you haven't been writing so much about drug war, and I'm willing to talk about other subjects today because I feel the fascists are trying to take over our country. And I I, 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 I want to prevent that. Uh, I want to prohibit that, uh, if you will. Um, your, your thought in that regard, am I off base by using the word fascist? No, I, I don't think you are at all. Um, and I think you'll find that tendency equally in both of the major parties. Um, part of the whole big lie with the drug war, if you advance it up to a couple of years ago with COVID, the message is always, we're here to help you do as we say. And oh, by the way, I have that gun on my hip if you don't want to do as I say. Yeah, uh, it, I'm sure it's very tempting to those who crave power and it distorts things. Um, I'm, I'm sure you've seen the story about the young man from Texas who set himself on fire in front of the Israeli embassy I, the I, other day. I saw that. Yes. Um, and it's sad. And I don't want to get into Israel and Palestine. That's not what I'm getting at. As this man made his statement and poured gasoline on himself and set himself on fire, a cop pulled a gun on him. You know, EMTs were yelling for a fire extinguisher. This guy, cop pulls out a gun. That's how, how cops are trained now to respond to any disobedience, to anything that might challenge their authority. Um, and I blame the drug war for putting that on steroids yeah uh, because that's what has cr created the police state and allowed them to get away with this for so long that uh i think a lot of your cops really don't understand their proper relationship to the citizens anymore well, it's I, all I... about that gun on the hip and uh and getting immediate obedience from whoever you order to do something well, I uh, to kind of extrapolate on that thought is that in order to protect you from killing yourself with drugs, cops are willing to kill you. And and that's that's to me that sums it up in a little tidier nutshell. But th the heck of it is, is that they think they have this authority that somehow they are justified, that somehow these laws are necessary and appropriate that somehow it's going to come out to the advantage of mankind. And they prove every day, every minute of the day, that it's horse hockey, that there's just never been any benefit. They stop five, maybe 10% of the drugs if they're lucky, if they have a really good year, which means 90% of this crap, this stuff made by untrained chemists in you know Afghan caves or jungle labs, by, you know, half-assed scientists, and then it's cut with others' crap before it gets sold to our children that are dying by record numbers, and somehow this uh, is the all... The drug war is responsible for fentanyl. Yeah. No drug war, no fentanyl. Fentanyl is so such a small amount of it is needed to produce the opioid effect that it's easier to smuggle. If they didn't have to smuggle it, you'd go to Walgreens and get your particular strength of an opiate without a prescription because you want to use it. I might not think you should use it, but that's not my business. 
Instead, we have dangerous stuff on the street because the motivation, the profit motivation leads up. What is the easiest thing we can produce? What is the easiest thing we can smuggle for a maximum profit margin with the least risk of getting caught? And fentanyl fills that bill because such a tiny amount of it is needed. No, it's so true. And and again, I I want to stand up for fentanyl for just a second. Fentanyl, when used properly under the guidance of a doctor, is a good medicine. It is. It is. It is. I had a brother who was on a fentanyl patch for years. He had a back that was nearly broken, and that was the only thing that made the pain tolerable. So fentanyl, yeah, it's not an evil substance, but the reason it is a problem is because regular strength opioids are illegal and fentanyl makes it where you have, can have a smaller quantity of stuff that has to be smuggled. And and now they, to even complicate things further, and I, I, I speak often of the city of Philadelphia that has a, uh, a several blocks long stretch of people that are high on fentanyl and the tranquilizer, and I can't think of the name of it now, that they put into the, quote, heroin uh, these days to uh, further intensify the high. And and what that, that uh, tranquilizer does to those who are taking the fentanyl slash heroin, it, it just puts them into kind of a lock. Uh, uh, just they get into a position and they cannot move for many minutes, if not hours, just stuck in a position, leaning over at the waist and bobbing with the, in the wind. And and I, I guess what I'm, I'm wanting to say here is that, that, as you were saying there, Thomas, is a direct result of prohibition, that finding the easy way to lure users to buy their product. And of course, the fentanyl has a strong rush at the beginning, but this, this tranquilizer they put in gives a long-lasting effect to it which is why all those people on the streets there in Philadelphia look quite like uh, zombies. Uh, your response there, Mr. Thomas Knapp. Um, I have not heard about that situation in Philadelphia, and I find it interesting. I should probably make it clear. I have a great amount of sympathy for anybody who has a, quote, drug problem, unquote, who is addicted to a substance or who you know, can't live without it, um, and who, if it affects their ability to live a full life, I don't see that pulling a gun or a billy club on them helps. No, no, but that's that's what uh, the politician seems to think is the appropriate answer: is violence and incarceration, and and then the long-lasting effects of being on probation, parole. Uh, having to take urine tests, go to uh, uh, visit your judge on a regular basis, you know, paying off fees for this and that, um, and and maintaining sobriety when the whole world uh, is trying to tear your head apart through all these circumstances. Uh, your response there, Thomas? Well, I, I've never personally been through the prison system um, and and the parole process, uh, and I consider myself lucky, of course. But yeah, I've known people who, you know, they could be working, they could be making a living, they could be spending time with their families, and yet they're tied up in this system where they're always reporting to somebody, um, and it doesn't matter what they did or were charged with, if they decide to have a beer and get caught, 
they're going back to jail. Um, it the whole thing just ruins lives. And now I would I would say that even if doing that would eliminate drugs, it would still be wrong. But they're doing it and they're not eliminating drugs. They're not even affecting drugs. It's, no. uh, they're just adding a layer of suffering to humanity on top of all the other problems. Well, and, and that is the heck of it. I uh, In the book I'm writing, I'm trying to, you know, uh, it, it boils down to Puritans rule America. You know, that's kind of the way I look at it, that prudes rule the United States. That those who have these, oh, oh my, I can't allow that to happen in my country attitude, uh, that somehow they don't care about the Constitution or the Bill of Rights or Declaration of Independence. None of that matters to them as long as they can control uh, other people. Because they, at, at the heart of it, I, I think, Thomas, is that many people uh, don't want others to have fun, to be happy, to be to experience euphoria as that sign above my head talks about it's a blessing it's not a crime and yet so many people don't want you to be happy oh how can we allow them to be so happy we we got to stop them and that, that's the half of it is they're having too much fun it can't be allowed uh, your response to that thought thomas well there's always been a puritan strain in america um you know from the founding by the pilgrims the calvinists uh, the idea that humanity has fallen and needs to be controlled um, to make them pure. And, of course, for some reason, the people who think that this needs to be done, they think that they're the ones to do the controlling. You know, everybody else has a problem. They, you know, them being controlled will fix it. And, of course, they're wrong. Well, and and again, things. I mean, things are better here. Uh, back when I started this this, uh, well, when I started cultural baggage uh, twenty three years ago, Houston was the world's leading jailer, and I, I'm not exaggerating. We were, we we were locking up so many people. With uh, every uh, morning, buses would show up at the jail to haul people to other jails because we were over full. They were sleeping under the bunks in the hallways. Uh, you know that there was no room. And uh, through, you know, ongoing uh, series of interviews, uh, reaching back to Chuck Rosenthal, who was the DA back then, and on up through all, you know, I think five or six DAs we've had up to this point, I've, I've had them on the airwaves, and I've held their feet to the fire. And they have begun to make those changes. Um, and um, it, it, it's, it's like this. If you embarrass these people, because that's what we have to do. For a hundred years, they have demonized us. They they have uh, cast us as monsters and unworthy of life on the planet. But they're the ones that need to be demonized now to show that they don't care how many millions die, how many billions get squandered, how many trillions the cartels and gangs rake in. They just don't care. They have, as we mentioned earlier, a mortgage payment to meet. And they will run this drug war forever if they can. And it's up to you, dear listener, to, you know, develop a pair. Go to their office. Tell them you know this truth because they know this truth. 
And if you tell them you know it, it begins to change the equation. It begins to move them towards making that change. And, um, you know, you just can't remain silent and watch it unfold like, uh, I don't know, you're watching a movie. Uh, Mr. Thomas L. Knapp, we're going to have to wrap it up here in a few, but uh, uh, what's on your mind? What are you writing about today? Uh, actually, today I'm writing mostly about foreign policy and uh, the presidential election. I, I cover general politics. Um, to tie it into your particular cause, um, I'm hopeful that between now and November, Joe Biden will act on descheduling cannabis. Um, He's always been a drug warrior. He's been a bad one. I know people who went to prison because of laws he wrote, but he also wants votes. And descheduling cannabis is very, very popular. Maybe not as popular as canceling student loan debt, which he's already done, um, but he wants those votes. And I'm hopeful he'll make a move to get them. Uh, to the extent that voting can change anything, that, that is the lever. You get my vote when I get what I want from you. And so uh, hopefully he'll be pushed to deschedule marijuana and he will do so. Well, that, that would be good. Uh, Health and Human Services, I think it is, has made us a recommendation to do that rescheduling, uh, sent it to the DEA. The DEA has indicated they will look at it, but we're going to be the ones who decide. And that, uh, to me, brings to mind that the DEA is the head cartel of the drug war. They determine the price, the purity, and the availability of the drugs being sold to your children. It is the DEA that wants it to be impure, high-priced, and uh, I guess not available. But it's it's very pure in fentanyl and is fairly low-priced. And it's available just about everywhere, including America's high schools and prisons, which shows the complete and utter failure of this whole shooting match, doesn't it, Thomas? It does. And the, the DEA would hate to see cannabis descheduled. But if the phone rings and it's their boss at the White House, things can happen. So, like I said, I'm hopeful uh, you know, Biden has pardoned and uh, expunged convictions and stuff like that. Um, he's proven that he's willing to make the moves that he uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt had a bunch of people trying to pitch a policy to him once. And he finally held his hand up and said, look, you convinced me now go out and bring pressure on me. <laughs> well, I've been, we've been trying because. Yeah, they have to feel like a they can pitch that they're doing the will of the people. So the more Joe Biden and his campaign managers hear, we want marijuana to scheduled and we want it now, the more likely it is to get done because he wants the votes. Indeed. Uh, once again, friends, we've been speaking with Mr. Thomas L. Knapp. Thomas, uh, point folks to your website once again, please. My website is the William Lloyd Garrison Center for Libertarian Advocacy Journalism, and it's at thegarrisoncenter.org. And Dean, it has been so wonderful to spend an hour with you. Thank you for having me on. And uh, I'm really bucked up every time I, I you know, touch base with you that you're seizing the moral high ground and, and hopefully making things happen. 
Thank you for those kind thoughts. Uh, and Thomas, thank you for being our guest. Okay, and wrapping up the show, we're going to balance things a little bit with some orange-tinted thought. We have become a drug-infested, crime-ridden nation, which is incapable of solving even the smallest, smallest problem, the simplest of problems we can no longer solve. We can't do anything. We are an institute and a powerful death penalty. I guess I got to wrap it up now. I'm going to remind you once again that because of prohibition, you don't know what's in that bag. So I urge you to please be careful and always remember that euphoria is a blessing, not a crime. To the Drug Truth Network listeners around the world, this is Dean Becker for Cultural Baggage and the Unvarnished Truth. Cultural Baggage is a production of the Pacifica Radio Network. Archives are permanently stored at the James A. Baker III Institute for Public Policy. And we are all still tap dancing on the edge of an abyss.